this series begins with this message. We only have until a certain time today, so it will not conclude, but it will begin by the grace of God. Holy Spirit, give us the heart of God. Give us the desire that God had when he nailed his only son on the cross. He did it for us. And when he hung there, he wouldn't come down for us. And he's coming again for us. Lord, give us your heart's desire. Mm. Yes, Change our ways. Mm -hmm. Let it not be a ritual and a routine. Amen. Jesus, give us your heart's desire. Yes. Help us do our part in your plan. Answering the atheists at the door. This is a part of the at the door series. They go into all of the aspects of the encounters that you will find as a witness for Jesus. It begins with the atheist, and you will see why shortly. It's a very important demographic for us to understand. The Bible records for us in Psalms 53, verse 1, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity, which is sin. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That is the state, ladies and gentlemen, of humankind. That is the state of human affairs. That is the state of persons without God. There is not one good among them as God counts goodness. Someone said, oh, this individual is the leader of a national charity. And they go all over the world. They're feeding children. They're building schools. They have campaigns. They're a really good person. God says... Unless they know him, unless they are intimately acquainted with him, they are altogether filthy. Tough words. God's, not mine. Do you agree with God or disagree with him? Do you think he knows what he's talking about or is he off? If he could only meet your cousin, buddy, he would understand 
But Buddy is a real good guy. He's not as bad as you think he is, Daddy God. He's a really nice guy. Does he know Jesus? But if Buddy doesn't know Jesus, God says he's filthy and corrupt and full of iniquity. Those are harsh words. That's pretty harsh, God. You should lighten up. <laughs> you think God should lighten up, anybody? Does anyone think God should, God should lighten up, that he should take it easy? After all, we're trying to, to make friends here. <laughs> trying to win them to our cause. <sighs> Help me, Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a dilemma on our hands. We have an issue on our hands that God and his word is contradicting with the world and its word. Are you understanding? So we're put in a position of which side are you actually on? God's side or the world's side? That, that's, a, that's a tough place to be if you're uncertain of where you want to be. For those who are convinced and convicted, it's not tough at all. Jesus says, my, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. How is that so? Because when you commit your way to the Lord, it becomes a delight to serve him. Yes. You take joy in suffering for Christ. I'm lifting up the name of Jesus. Someone is honking, saying, cursing me. I'm saying, praise God. <laughs> I'm on the winning team. I'm making a... You see the difference. But if I'm uncertain and unsure, I will seek a more comfortable life. I don't really want to upset the mayor. I don't want the judge to be angry with me. I don't want my colleagues to say, oh, you weirdo, you weirdo. I don't want my friends to laugh at me. So I'll, I'll, I'll lighten up on my conviction because I don't want to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. The young man said it accurately. He wants all to be saved. Well, that comes at a cost. It costs Jesus his life. What do you think it's going to cost you? The same. It's going to cost you your lifestyle. It may cost you some habits. It may cost you some time. It may cost you some comfort. It may make you get up in the morning when you'd rather be asleep and pray as opposed to talk on the phone or read the Bible rather than reading the newspaper or the comic books. Are you understanding? It's going to cost you something to see the lost come to Christ. The atheist is a particular kind of individual. They have some core beliefs. There is a range in there that we will explain a little bit of what they believe, but the basic tenets can be put together like we will see here. And there's a, a quote from, you probably recognize the person, famous actress. She was in Star Wars. She was in another movie. I don't name all the movie titles because you might go out and try she did several movies. She says, I don't believe in the afterlife. I believe this is it. And I believe it's the best way to live. Now, this is a person with influence over, I don't know how many Twitter, Twitter followers 
that she has and how many followers she has on her blogs or Facebook or whatever. But this is an influential person, a person of the now, a Hollywood elite type character. Yet they make this statement. I don't believe that there's anything beyond now. So that rules out God, heaven, the need for a savior, and anything else. I will do what I feel is best right now. Because there's nothing after this. That is the introduction into the mind of the atheist. It just begins to peak right there. There's some data points there for those who love data. There are those among us and those who will listen later who like to have some kind of factual basis for the statement. So I'll give you some factoids. According to sociologists, Ariela Kesar and Juhim Navarro Rivera's review of numerous global studies on atheism, there are 450 to 500 million positive atheists and agnostics worldwide. 7% of that is thought to be the world's population if you add up what's about eight billion persons on the, on the planet or so, that 7% of that would be that atheistic agnostic body. You understand the atheist is the one that says there is no God. The agnostic is the one that says, hmm, I don't know. There could be God, but probably not. With China having the most atheists in the world, over 200 million, that's convinced atheists, those who have said and stated I don't believe. Of the global atheist and non-religious population, 76% reside in Asia and the Pacific, while the remainder reside in Europe, where you're sitting now, at 12%, North America at 5%, Latin America and the Caribbean at 4%, Sub-Saharan Africa at 2%, and the Middle East and North Africa, less than 1% claim to be atheists or agnostics. Now, you've got to look at the facts on the table and say those demographics are telling you about their cultures. So when you're looking at the atheist at the door, you would have to ask the question, whose door am I knocking on? If you, if you need to. <laughs> whose door am I knocking on? That person answering the door, being from one of these demographics, there's a high probability you're going to run into that person. Have you ever noticed, and I'll, I'll say it for the record, how missionary movements in Africa, you see scenes of millions at a revival. Have you ever noticed that? on television or if you've been live, you'll see that people of color are thronging the place, sitting in a hot baking sun, not this little twilight, hot baking sun, walk for miles to get there and will sit there for hours shouting. You see the demographics. 4%, 2%. That means the majority 98% of, of that population is believing that there is a God. Of course there's a God. How dare you? Even though it's split between Muslim and Christian, 
pretty much down the middle, still they're acknowledging there is something beyond us. But when you hit Europe, the numbers climb increasingly and go further into Asia, even more so. We just don't believe there's anything there. Look at the revenue in these populations. The centers of wealth, commerce, technology. The higher you go in wealth and revenue and income, the further you get away from God. Statistics are proving this. They're showing you images of people living in squalor, poverty. You get there at church every Sunday. Walking to get to church. No car, no Lexus, no Mercedes. Walking to get to church. And you say, you hardly have anything. They've got God. So why is it that the higher you go up the social ladder, the less you believe in God? Exactly. I have no need of him. What do I need God for? That's for you weak people. You, you, you poor people who need a crutch to hold on to, to get through life. Help me pay my bill. Oh, I need a financial breakthrough. We're going to have a, a, a financial prayer. To Wait a minute. Where are the principles in your life? Why is your income at one level, but you're trying to live at another level, Mr. Person? Bring it down and live according to your means. Well, on the TV, they said lifestyles of the rich and famous, so I need this kind of car, this kind of house, this kind of sofa. I, these are last year's shoes. I can't. And the minute you start to chase after that, bye bye, God. I don't have time for you because I'm chasing the other God. Ladies and gentlemen, you can pull these facts up yourself. You can, you can do your own search and research and find the same statistics. So when you come to a town like the one we live in, one of the richest towns in the country, Oxford and Cambridge, one person asked me, it was a tourist, we were in city center, and the tourist said, excuse me, can you tell me how to get to the University of Oxford? <laughs> I laughed. I said, you're standing in it. He said, what do you mean? I said, look around. The whole town is the University of Oxford. The university owns the majority, over 70% of all that you see. The buildings, if not the buildings, the land that the buildings are sitting on belongs to the university. So you're sitting in the midst of opulence and wealth. People who have one of the highest income levels in the country live right here. We call it Oxford race. You talk about the, the cost of living here. It's, it's equal to some places in London, right here in Oxford. Around the world, everyone knows about Oxford, the fame of the university. These individuals, many of them, do not see a need for your God. He's irrelevant. 
That's for you primitive folk. The atheist at the door will look you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, assess your status, and shut the door. You're not there to be liked. You're not there to make a buddy. You're there to tell them about Jesus. That's, that's your mission. I'm not, here, I'm not here to impress you with my car, with my dress, my fashion sense. I'm not here so you say, oh, I like your hair. You can talk to me. No, I'm here to tell you a simple story. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And you are not ready to meet him. And he's coming again. 1 John 2, 19. We love him because he first loved us. That's my motivation for engaging the atheist at the door. Sir, madam, I am in love with Jesus. I am in love with him so much, I'm willing to risk my reputation, my life, as it were, to tell you about him. I don't care if you laugh in my face. I don't care if you'd say I'm stupid or I'm deluded. I love Jesus more than I'm afraid of you. Amen. I love him more than I'm intimidated by your snobbish look or your dismissive attitude. Romans 10:3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, what are they doing? They're going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That is the atheist's own approach. They're broken down into four categories loosely. As Again, we will walk through this by the grace of God. We may get to cover one and a half, or if not two, of the first categories. Typically, the statement comes out from the general atheist like this. We have no beliefs. We are just people who don't believe in, in a God, any God. But if you provided enough evidence, we would. We would believe. But the onus, Mr. Christian, is on you to make me believe. That's, that's the first type of atheist. They expect you to go into some magical, mystical bag and to pull out belief and put it on them. So you now become the dancing bear. If you entertain me, I'll change. Give it your best shot. And that's how they're approaching God and the subject of God. So if you're engaging with that type of atheist, you need to understand a few things about the way they think and the way they behave, right? So that you do not get trapped in to trying to prove something to someone who's not going to allow you to prove it to them. And you will spend countless hours trying to think of a method that will convince them. And you will waste a lot of time and become very stressed. And we're going to avoid that in Jesus' name. The second type of atheist comes at the conversation this way. We just have a different God. That's all. It's just a different God. You Christians are unbelievers in Thor, Zeus, 
and all the other gods, the whole pantheon of gods. There, there are so many gods out there, and you Christians have just picked up on one. He's still an atheist. I don't believe in your God. And, and it just happens you don't believe in my God. Who is the God of the atheist? The God of the atheist is self. I just believe in self. I am my own God. And you just believe in a different God. Don't you get it, Mr. Christian? You're no different than me. You believe in a God in the sky. I believe in a God inside of me. So what's the problem? You have your version, I have my version. <laughs> the brother's eyebrows with him. That's the logic you're dealing with. That's the, that's the logic of this type of atheist. He's not factoring on, there's no need to argue. You believe, you don't believe in Thor, do you? You'll say no. You believe in Zeus, the god of thunder, uh, lightning, and, and power, the Greek god of Zeus. Uh, no. Well, see, it's just a different god. So why are you hassling me about this Jesus character? I am God. Can't you understand that? The third type of atheist, call it. The third type of atheist. Again, these are light categories, but you will see a mixture, or you may see one individual in these camps. Comes at the argument this way. We have science. You have faith. And faith, by definition, is blind. So you, Mr. Christian, are believing in nothing. Whereas we have science. We're believing in the tangible what we can see, what we can calculate, what we can measure, what we can weigh in a beaker and discover, what we can heat. You say you have faith, but that means you can't see. We're trusting our sight. We're not trusting your invisible hocus pocus. So in this atheist, there's the person who will put you down, question your faith. Do you really believe that? Do you think that, that this ghost got this woman pregnant? What kind of ghost is that? Came into her bedroom and got her pregnant? You mean the ghost had sex with this woman and she had a baby and called him Jesus? Is that what you believe? And you're standing there on your back foot. I hope you're leaning against the wall. <laughs> or you have your Bible wedged under your heel or something so you can stand your ground and say, no, 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 no. You're twisting the story. You got it all wrong, Mr. Atheist. Well, that's what you said. That, that Mary was a virgin. And that the, the what'd you say, the Holy Ghost got her pregnant? That's ridiculous. You see, you don't hear talk like this in church. All you hear is the positive. I'm trying to tell you what you're facing. These are the arguments that will be flung into your face. And you need to think beyond the now as to, okay, what can I say in defense of my belief? The fourth type that we'll touch on comes at the argument this way. People can be moral without God. Come on. People can be moral without God. Therefore, people have no need of God. That's the fourth type of atheist. I don't need God to be moral. 
I'm, I'm in a loving relationship with my, my partner, he will say, of his husband. She will say, of her wife. I'm in a loving relationship. I'm committed. We have two lovely adopted children. They're educated. Their needs are met. They're not starving. We're moral. What is, what is your, I don't need a God to make me be moral. I treat my neighbor kindly. I don't do, uh, what's it say? I don't uh, cheat on my partner. So why do I need your version of morality? That's the fourth type of atheist who will say, I'm a moral, I'm a decent moral person. I'm a tax-paying, law-abiding citizen of the crown. So you can keep your God. No, thank you. I don't want to hear your fish stories about Jesus. I'm all right. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people that will give you these arguments living right next door. I don't have to go that far. Who will tell you everything I have shown you here and more as their arguments against the cross. Now, when, as it was said, when you love people, you love them beyond their ignorance. You love them beyond their blindness. You love them beyond their stubbornness. You love them beyond their cursing and spitting in your face. Why do you think Jesus and Stephen both said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. While they were dying, Jesus and Stephen cried out, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. That's love. Yes. It's not based upon how difficult a time you give me. It's based upon the love of God in our hearts that says, Father, I am going to do what it takes to get the message out in the face of this. Goodness. Oh, it's, it's real. That's when you are tested, ladies and gentlemen. And if your love is shallow, you won't bother. You say, that's too much work. I'd rather go to church with the good Christian folks, sing a few songs, have a tea and a biscuit at the end, and just go home, play a few video games. <laughs> maybe some in church, maybe some not, I'm not going to say. But this won't appeal to you. That won't appeal to you. You say, that's, that's too divisive, you know. He will tell you, look, you are stirring up trouble on your job. Why are you trying to tell everybody about Jesus at work? Can you just pipe down? Don't, don't be so vocal. I know you have your faith, but just keep it to yourself. Be, be quiet, little man, little woman. Just, just be quiet. And then we all get along. So when you sit down next to this person who used to be a man who's now a woman, and sit down next to, to this person who just came back from sleeping with his neighbor's wife, and you're eating across from that woman who's been lying since she's been alive almost, you won't say anything. You'll just, just mingle. It's, it's okay. Is it really? It's okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to, by the grace of God, walk through this information in love. The first case 
If you provide enough evidence, we would. We would what? We would believe. If you just give us enough to go on. The first atheist says, I would believe, but you Christians haven't done a good enough job in convincing me. Look at the quote. People like to say, I'll believe it when I see it. But usually they only see what they believe already. Yes. That's the truth. They put the onus on the Christian. You prove to me that there is God, and then I'll believe. But actually, no matter what you say, they've already decided there's nothing there. There's nothing there. So while you're going through all of those gymnastics, you're missing the point. I can only deliver to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all I can give you. All I can give you is the gospel. There is evidence that backs up my claim but initially, I'm giving you the word of God. John 16, 8 says, and when he is come, who is he? We'll see in a minute. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. Who are we talking about? The Holy Spirit. Everything begins with the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen. He is the one who convicts the world of sin. He is the world who convicts of righteousness. He is the one who brings the judgment of God. It's the Holy Spirit. So me as a Christian witness, I must start with the Holy Spirit. And he and I must decide where we are going to go in this witness. And I am relying. The whole while I'm talking to you, I'm relying on him. The whole while I'm speaking to you, looking in your face, I'm relying on the Holy Spirit. I am not for any moment of time trusting my skill, my ability, my, my looks, nothing. I am trusting in the Holy Spirit. You're going to convict this person because you love them. You're going to convict them of their sin because you love them. You're going to call them to your righteousness because you love them. And I love them because you put your love in me. That's how you see it. Not trusting in my intellect. Holy Spirit, do the work of God in the church. Holy Spirit, do the work of God in this witness. Holy Spirit, do the work of God in this person's life. Even as I am speaking, I am praying within. Holy Spirit, convict this person's heart. Holy Spirit, draw them to Jesus. That is his job, ladies and gentlemen. Do not leave out the Holy Spirit. Let him do his work. When he has come, he has come now. He is with us. He is in us. Genesis 1 2, the Old Testament, gives us this testimony. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the what? The Spirit, the Spirit of God, who is what? The Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So who caused the light? The Spirit of God. When the voice of God spoke, the Spirit of God moved on the waters, and light came. Do you see? So when I say the Holy Spirit is convicting the individual, it's the Holy Spirit's job to move on the darkness to bring the light. It's the Holy Spirit's job to move on the deep void in a person's heart and bring that conviction that they need God. 
That's why you cannot leave out the Holy Spirit. He goes before us. He goes with us. He guides us in the way. This does not mean that you do not listen to people. It doesn't mean that you don't attempt to answer their fundamental questions. Amen. In closing, <laughs> the fundamental questions are the questions that are basic. They're not questions like, let me give you a, for instance. A fundamental question is, why would God love me? That's a fundamental question. You should answer that question easily. God loves you because he created you. He created you for his good pleasure. He created you to have fellowship with him. That's why God loves you. Oh, wow, really? A question that's not fundamental is, where did Cain get his wife? <laughs> did he marry a monkey? Well, there was only one family, Adam and Eve, and he had two sons, so who did he marry? That's not a fundamental question. That's not a fundamental question. It's not even an essential question. You can live all of your life, and you probably will, and not know the answer to that question. It won't bother you. That's not a fundamental. It's fundamental questions we answer because we have the answers. Abstract questions, don't chase the rabbit. That's a, I know it's a country saying from Texas, don't chase the rabbit. It will, it will turn, it will go down a hole, and you'll be running, where'd it go, where'd it go? You'll never catch it. Don't chase the rabbit. Leave it. Leave it. Fundamental questions we answer. The last scripture for this session, Hebrews 11, 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So what are we saying? Oh, how can an unbeliever believe in God? It said believe that he is. Didn't say believe in him, believe that he is. Someone who does not believe that there is even a God is not coming by faith. What is faith? Well, you're demonstrating it now. Every one of you came in this place and sat down. You demonstrated your faith that that chair was not going to collapse. <laughs> never even crossed your mind. You never even thought about it. You never even gave it a thought. People will, how many times have you said, on the phone. I'm, I'm on my way. I'll be there shortly. <laughs> you trusted that you were going to get out of the house, get to the bus, get to the car. Your keys were going to work. You were going to leave, walk down the street, get on your bike. You had faith. So an unbeliever has faith. This is where are they turning it? The fact that you went to the store, bought a can, a can with a wrapper on it, paid money for it, took it home, and opened it. <laughs> you don't know what's in there. Well, it's a label. So what? <laughs> Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word of God today. We thank you for the beginning of an understanding of how we are going to 
witness to the atheists. And we are praying right now for every atheist in Oxford. We're praying for every agnostic in Oxford. That they be prepared to receive Jesus. That those who are the heirs of salvation, that their hearts would open, that they receive Christ. That you use us as witnesses to speak to them. That we understand their mind and we understand what is holding them up. And we speak life to them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Find your neighbor, find your friend, and say, the atheist is at the door. Open it. <laughs> Glory to God. Open it. We're walking on the same page. Mark 4, 11. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're in it. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. What does that say? That without being in the kingdom, everything you're saying to the world, it's a story. It's just a story. There was a video on. Someone asked Siri. Asked Siri, who is Jesus? And Siri said that Jesus was a, a mythical character. <laughs> Can you imagine? The AI says that Jesus is a myth. Now, how many young people will ask the computer, who is Jesus? And they'll say, oh, he's a, myth, a mythical character. It's just a story. Siri's not in the kingdom. Siri's not in the kingdom, so of course, to Siri, Jesus is a myth. And all the other ones from Amazon, all the other bots that sit in person's houses listening to everything that they say, listening to their conversations. They're also telling the young people, Jesus is a myth. It's just a story. So when you come to someone's face and you begin to talk to them about Jesus, in your mind, you're thinking about the Jesus who's in your heart and you're full of love and they're looking you right in your face. In the back of their mind, they're saying, Jesus is a myth. This person is deluded. <laughs> Jesus is not even real. And here's this guy talking to me about Jesus. And, you, and if you're not picking up on the fact that that's happening, your testimony will be heard in the face of opposition. With the exception of those who are seeking the kingdom. Those who want to know Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Moving to the end of this matter. So what does it mean, being born again? What is the purpose? What is the, what is the mm of it all? <laughs> this new birth, this being born again, is the act of God whereby eternal life is imparted to the person who believes. They go from damnation to eternal salvation just like that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away, which is what I just said. Behold, all things are become new. That is real, ladies and gentlemen. We're not saying, I was this way before I accepted Jesus, and now I'm still the same way. That is not possible. You cannot be the same after salvation. And day by day, the work of salvation is expressed in your life. 
So when I'm talking now to the sinner, I am saying God transformed me on the inside. And stage by stage, he is transforming me, making me into who he ultimately wants me to be. But you must tell the person, you're not going to stay the same. You, it, it's impossible. You cannot. Why? Because you're a new creature. Have you ever had a, a, a new thing that was the same as the old thing? Then how is it new? Is that, a, is that a new dress, a new pair of shoes? Yes. But no, they're the same as my old pair. Well, are they new or not? Yes, they're new. Well, then they can't be the old one. No, it's the old one. How can it be the old one? It's new. Even, even any rational thinking person. Is that a new phone? Is that a new jacket? I can could, I could pick any object. Are you understanding? Is that a new life, brother? <laughs> is that a new life, sister? Yeah, it's new. Well, then it can't be the same as the old. It's new. A renewed mind. First Peter, let's rush through this. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us, how? Made us born again unto a living, lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if he resurrected, I am resurrecting from my dead old life. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. To what? To become. What is that? That's transformation. The sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, were not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. No person can be born again because they want to be. Someone will say to you, I will think about it. Then later, I'll give, I'll see if I want to give my heart to the Lord. But I'll think about it first. No. This action comes from God. At the invitation of the Holy Spirit, the only thing you can do is surrender. You in and of yourself cannot decide to be saved. That's a power you don't possess. You, you can't say, oh, I'm going to be... You, you, you cannot do it. It's not by the will of man. It's not by the will of the flesh. It is by the decision of God. That's why we say over and over again, the heirs of salvation, they're all around us. But only God knows who they are. I can't pick and choose and say, well, that person is going to be saved. Oh, that person is not going to be saved. Oh, those three, ah, they don't look like they want to. Not. I don't know. Only God. He's the one calling. He's the one inviting. He's just using us as arms and legs and feet to go out and to tell persons. Are you understanding this? But that invitation is coming from him, and he's overriding that action of salvation, ladies and gentlemen. Stay with me just for a minute here. Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, who? The person who is seeking God, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of this calling, his calling, 
and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. Are we on the same page now? What must the world be in order to see the kingdom where we started? Two words. I'll give you the first one. Born. Aha. Well done. Born again. You must be born again. I trust that we listening here now are all born again. If you're not born again, I extend to you the invitation of Jesus Christ. I extend to you the invitation to come to Christ, to know him as your personal Lord and Savior, if you do not already. I ask you to go from here to anyone that you may know and extend the same invitation, that they may know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You must be born again. Amen? Can we stand together? Father, in Jesus' name, let the truth of the word of God Register with every heart who has heard it. Let every person be sure within themselves that they are born again. And that they have a desire that others be born again. Let the church be awake, alive, and alert to its purpose, its destiny, and its responsibility to share Christ with the world. Daddy God, make us ready and able to go out of this place and to testify to every man, woman, boy, and girl that we meet that they must be born again. No negotiation possible. They must be born again. And we ask for your grace and your favor, your destination, and your love to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor, you must be born again.